recording. Okay, great. So if you guys want to go ahead and start, you can. And then you guys, um, if you have questions for George and Linda, the people out there, you can type them into the questions section of the GoToWebinar control panel. And then Megan, if you can actually open up that question section or just expand it, it's at the bottom of the GoToWebinar control panel, then we can see where those um, questions come in and we'll have some time to ask them at the end. So Linda, I'll throw things back to you. Sorry for the late start, everyone. Well, that's okay. It's very, it <laughs> that's very okay. Exciting. Thanks for getting in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. Hang Thanks out for getting us phone. up and running, though, Megan. <laughs> okay. Yeah, my pleasure. I'll <laughs> let you know when we have questions coming in. <laughs> okay, great. And uh, I'm going to hold on one second, otherwise I'm going to have some continual beeping going on. Um, okay. Technology, it's wonderful. Yeah. So, George, welcome. Um, <laughs> hey, Linda. <laughs> and... Uh, how you doing, sweetie? <laughs> I'm good, pal. Good, good. Um, we want to talk about your book, which is called The Impressionist Painting for the Landscape, Secrets for Successful Oil Painting. I think okay. I got that all in one phrase yeah. there. Um, congratulations on that. I know that was a big undertaking for you and for uh, your co-author, Cindy um, Slasky, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. Um, so... First, let's start off with both of us are writers. We both both are writing and, and also painting, and um, we know that uh, things like books don't happen overnight. So mm -hmm. I'm curious, did you keep a journal, or um, had you been writing things down here and there all along? Uh, you know, yes, to some degree I was, and and uh, but you know the, the the interesting thing about writing a book about painting is that you have all these sort of uh, disconnected thoughts that you know go back decades and uh, you know but until someone says can you write down all of your thoughts about your process and can you write down all of your thoughts about you know how you mix paint or how you you know how you apply the brush to the canvas or uh, uh, you know these are these are things that obviously you think about but uh, and like I said I, I did write down some things here and there but uh, you know, until someone asks you to start talking about this, you're kind of, it's an interesting, you know, it's a very internal process. So, so I found it very, very interesting and, and uh, rewarding to to write all of this stuff down. And then I, as I wrote more and more of it, I, I realized, my God, I've been thinking about this for decades, you know, and it, it was nice to get it out of my system and, 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 I, and to realize you know, how much thought you really do put into this, uh, you know, how much of thought I had put into this, because uh, uh, I, I think one of the missing ingredients in a, in a lot of instruction, art instruction books, which is what I, I, I think I addressed a lot in this book, is the, the, the thought process of what goes into making a painting. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it because, you know, it, it occurred to me, you know, I was watching a kid's paint at, 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 you know, at one point. Watching a child paint, you know, it's not much different than watching an adult paint. I mean, you're just holding a brush and you're dipping it into piles of paint and you're putting it on a surface. The physical act really isn't any different at the age of five than it is at, at 65. It's, 
it's the thought that goes into what you're doing, you know, because it's not, you don't need tremendous manual dexterity. It's not like swinging a golf club, you know, where you've got to make all of these moves and swing something at over 100 miles per hour. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's far more mental. And, 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 and that's what I try to address in the book, especially, uh, I do address a lot of technique stuff, but, but I, I tried to get first into the, into the choices as to, you know, when you're, when you, when you're about to paint a picture, you, you know, uh, all the different choices that you are faced with and things that you need to answer before you even start. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. we're going to get into some of that process um, okay. shortly, but so this was totally different than let's say when you were creating local color because local color was more about semi-autobiographical and what you're very used to doing which is creating a script because that's what you do as your day job so totally different right it's totally different in terms of you know that a lot of that stuff is you know you um it's not different from painting in many ways you know but uh but in writing about painting it is certainly much different you know uh you know when you write a mm -hmm. a movie script you know you create characters and you put them in scenes and 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 each scene uh, uh you know brings you closer to uh you know your point you know uh you know, you, you, you use these things for dramatic purpose. It, not, not dissimilar to painting in, in that, right. you, know, you know, you use certain visual truths that you see before you and you, you take them and synthesize them into creating a, you know, an artistic statement, uh, let's say, you know. But, but writing about painting was, uh, was definitely much different, you know. And, and I would imagine a little bit harder because a lot of the decisions and choices that we make when we're painting, we're in the zone and we don't pay a lot of attention to that thought process. You know, that, it, yeah, that's absolutely true. You know, I, I, I think, uh, and, and being in the zone is part of what I write about, you know, about uh, what I wrote about in the book, uh, um, which we'll, we'll get into, you know. Uh, because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm yeah. sure that's, that's so. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I was just gonna say. So let let's start to get in that. We don't want to give away all the secrets, otherwise nobody will buy the book, right? So oh, we want to hold some of those. There's so back. many secrets um. in there we couldn't <laughs> we could never cover in an hour. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of secrets. That that's good. But but one thing that does jump out, unfortunately, um, we don't have the PowerPoint, but um, you can go to georgegallo.com. You can actually pull that up while you're listening to us if you want. And there are a lot of paintings of George out on uh, uh, that George created out on his website. So you can go there. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, George, because what sure. when I see your work, the first thing that inspires me and and uh, certainly evokes my emotion is your expressive color. Um, so let's let's do talk about that. One of the things I wanted to, to ask you is, do you push color or do you actually see cover color that vibrantly when you're painting? Um, n n that's a that's a great question. Uh, um, I would imagine that I push it to some degree. I mean, even when I'm trying to rein it back, I find that I'm still pushing it. I I, I think. 
first and foremost, you know, when I'm painting something and I, you know, be it, you know, in the on location or in the studio, you know, when I'm when I'm out on 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 site painting, the, the first thing that I'm always sort of surprised at is is the, the the variations of colors that really do exist, and 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 I think the best way to start to recognize them is, you know, as you paint is when I look at something, the first thing I ask myself is, is it warm or is it cool? You know, and if it's cool, obviously it's leaning towards a, you know, a certain side of the color spectrum, you know, let's say, uh, you know, cool greens, blues, purples, you know, and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. maybe dark reds could still fall into, like maroons can still kind of fall into your cooler colors. Or is it warm? Is it a is it a hot yellow, orange, a hot green? You know, those are the first things I ask myself, and then I try to get uh, because a lot of painting to me is a is a dance of, of of color temperatures, you know, and and those are the first things I start to play around with when I look at something, and if I see something falling into the cooler uh, spectrum, you know, I'll. I'll you know, I might make them a little cooler than I really see them, and it's the same thing on some of the warms. Uh, the key is that you got to get the values right because if the values are off, the 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 color will get garish. So it, it's definitely a, a dance. Um, but you know, a lot of times I, I think if you look, if you really look at stuff, and and it's funny, you have to, as I as I think John F. Carlson said about when when you when you're painting color, you you look with your heart you know, as opposed to the intellect, you know, it, it, one of the things that happens is, is when you're painting, and this is something you have to watch out for, is we as painters, we do something very unnatural when we look at something. We tend to look at it for long periods of time, whereas normally that's really what you have to do to analyze stuff, but at the same time you have to not overanalyze. If I look at something and you know what I'm saying? If you look at something and you go, wow, that's a beautiful purple. I don't, it, the bad habit to get into is, well, is it really purple? Before you know, you start, two things happen. You overanalyze and you, you start to detract from the original excitement of seeing the color. And also the eye mm -hmm. does something interesting, which is the more you look at something, the more it tends to gray out because your iris settles and, you know, you're not emotionally reacting anymore. And, and so I find that when I'm painting outdoors especially, uh, if I'm looking at something for more than a minute or two, you know, and let's say it's purple, okay, uh, and it starts to get a little gray mm -hmm. to me and as I'm working, I will literally turn away from that and try to find something that's the opposite on the color spectrum which could be, let's say, uh, yellow, which is the opposite of violet, you know? And I will look at something yellow mm -hmm. then for a few seconds and then look back to the purple, and it'll jump back out at you as to how purple it really is. Uh, because the wow. eye naturally craves complementary colors. Uh, this is something that uh, Charles Hawthorne talked a lot about. Certainly, uh, you know, certainly the, the Impressionists did you know, the whole ash can school. Well, if you look at a lot of those guys, their paintings are based on the interaction of purple, green, and orange. And uh, and it's really how the eye works. Uh, 
um, I've read some books recently that that, said, that have said that that's not true, but it's 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 a scientific fact that the eye naturally craves compliments. If you if you are painting on a very very green day, let's say in a summer day, if you look at a lot of green mm -hmm. trees and then look at the quote white clouds, you know, uh, close quotes, you know. If you look at them quickly, mm -hmm. you'll notice they take on an almost reddish, pinkish kind of hue, you know. And it, the, uh, it's it's right. what the eye and how the eye and the brain and the cones in the eye, which which are the color receptors, it's how they read color, you know. Um, so anyway, so to answer your question, <laughs> yes, I do push colors. <laughs> I do push colors to uh, to an extent, and and but I'm I'm doing it. Uh, in a in a logical way, you know. Right. Yeah. It's it's um. You said something really important. We said a lot of things really important in there. Okay. One of them uh, was you talked about you, you talked about values and getting your value correct, and and you, that to me is one of the foundations of any great painting is controlling your values. Um, but also, uh, the values also play into color relationships too. Where Absolutely. if your values off, your your color relationship isn't going to be quite as strong. Yeah, you know, it's funny because the, the old saying is, uh, "Color get what is it? Values do all the work, and color gets all the credit." You know, the, the colors, mm. you know, the interactions of the colors. You know, if you looked at those colors, let's say on a palette. You know they might be quite dull. You know it, it's it's when you it's yeah. it's the interaction of the colors that become beautiful. You know because you know I've seen greens on my palette that look kind of mucky. You know but then you you lay them next to some beautiful warm orange or, or deep red and you go, wow that's just the most beautiful green I've ever seen. But in reality, you know it is not intrinsically beautiful itself. It's it's the way it, it's the relations that are. The relationships that are true that make them that make them appear beautiful, you know. Um, right. uh, anyway, you know, I, I hope that answers that, you know. Uh, yeah. Um, is is Edward Redfield calling you again? <laughs> Every once Edward in a while. Redfield. Oh, yeah. speaking of Edward Redfield, it's very funny because you know, you know, he 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 in one of his letters, you know, uh, to to uh, another impressionist, I I because I, I read a lot of the stuff that Redfield was writing to other painters or correspondents, you know, he talks about uh, painting purple cows. And now we know that cows aren't purple, you know, uh, but he painted a painting uh, on, a, on, a, on a day that had a lot of warm oranges, and the gray cows in the distance began to appear purple. And if he painted them just with purple paint, it would look ridiculous, but he had, the values were so spot on, and the, you know, the gray-brown cow in cool light became purple. So if you look at the cow in the painting, you go, that's a purple cow, you know, but you absolutely <laughs> buy it. You absolutely buy it in that color universe that, that he, that he was painting in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He's got some wonderful work. So, yeah. Um, let's, let's look at, let's take a, a quick shot at your painting process. You go, you go to a spot, you set up, and before your brush hits the canvas, kind of walk us through 
what you're doing. Are you noticing color at that point, or are you just looking at composition and, and the values that are around? Well, I, it's sort of everything. You know, I, I think, you know, the, the, the thing that happens where I think most people go wrong, which brings me back to, you know, the original thing that we were talking about, you know, a lot of times the difference between, let's say, a professional artist and, and, and a student, you know, an amateur, is that a lot of times, like when I would, you know, I haven't done too many workshops, but I've done a fair amount of them. And, and it, you know, you could see from a student that, let's say, that's not particularly advanced, you'll say, what are you painting or why are you painting this? And they'll say, I don't know. And I don't know is not a great place to start, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I have to know. And as as I got better as a painter, it, it was because I could. I had a goal in mind, a very specific goal, a very specific composition, a very specific set of colors and values. I painted the painting pretty much from start to finish before I started the painting. Also, leaving myself open to, let's say, happy accidents, you know, inside of the idea of what I wanted to do. But, you know, I, before you start, you have to have a goal. You, you don't get into your car, you know, hoping to end up in some location and just aimlessly driving around. You, you have to say, okay, this will connect me to that road, to that road. I make two left. You, know, you have to have a destination. Painting is no different. So, to answer your question, when I set up, I mean, look, the more I paint, the more I, I, I've gotten good at recognizing certain compositions that, that will make successful paintings, you know, and then there's, there's also mm -hmm. things that I tend to gravitate to, you know, uh, but yeah, the first thing I do is I see a composition and I look at it and I, I say to myself, that would make a wonderful painting. And then the next question is, okay, why would that why does that make a wonderful painting what is going to be my center of interest uh you know what are going to what are going to be the you know the color combinations the, certainly the design first cuz i think design is everything mm -hmm. you know you 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 could paint you could paint a not so great painting that has terrific design and there's still something interesting about it but if you get all your values and colors right and the design is deplorable you you're never going to it's never going to be an interesting painting. So first and foremost is what what are the what are the big shapes? Where are they going to land? How am I going to express something to make your eye move from place to place to place? And then I figure out basically, you know, my center of interest, my lightest light, my darkest dark, and uh, and you obviously, like I said, the color combinations, the interactions of the three secondary colors, which you know is the basically the basis of all impressionism i'm always shocked at how many people don't really know that you know when you know like and even some of my painter friends they say well what are you doing i go well i'm just trying to figure out you know the, the you know the basis of you know i'm trying to figure out the, the interactions of my purples greens and oranges and i've had painter friends say well that sounds like a formula and i'm like well no it's not a formula it's how your <laughs> eye works you know it's how your 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 the again getting back to the cones in the eye it's how they perceive color and uh and this is what monet and all the impressionists were so obsessed with and this is why their paintings really jump you know when you look at them it's because they understood those color relationships and uh, the painter that that taught me a lot of this stuff was george terapov uh, who you know he he uh, 
when I was 19 years old, was uh, already, I would say, in his mid to late 70s. And, you know, he studied with a lot of the great masters, and he knew all of this stuff. And I'm always shocked at how much of this stuff is just sort of lost today, you know? Mm-hmm. So a lot of that stuff's in the book. Okay. <laughs> Order the book. <laughs> We've got a lot more to talk about. So you you mentioned the book, and I, I'm just curious, um, did you like the process of writing this book? What did you like about it? I I loved the process of writing the book. Much of the book, I'll tell you, it's, I'll tell you where I wrote it. I, I wrote it in Colorado. I was uh, I was up at the the um, in Vail. Uh, there's a, one of my galleries is there, the Paderewski Gallery. Mm-hmm. And the day that I arrived, you know, I figured because uh, I was going to do a couple of painting demos. The day that I arrived, I, it was like last December when I when I drove there for for a couple of weeks, and I, I was going to go painting with a friend of mine. And uh, but I got snowed in the second I got there. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I hadn't driven in snow in a lot of years, you know, because I'm from New York, so I grew up driving in snow. But then now I live in Southern California, so you know I don't drive around in the snow all that much. And 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 the second I you know, I tried it, and I've got a, 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 I've got a, you know, a Jeep with four-wheel drive, but uh, uh, I mean, a, you know, what do you call it, an SUV? But SUV, yeah. I took it outside, and I started skidding all over the place, and I was like, you know what? I don't exactly remember how to drive in the snow that well, so I went, I put it back in the parking lot of the hotel, and I just went to work on the book, and I wrote a lot of it in, in, in because I'm used to writing, I can write quickly, you know, but. Uh, yeah. I wrote a lot of it in those four or five days that I was just snowbound, you know, and I, but I was putting in like 18 hour days and, and uh, so, but I, yeah, I love the process. I mean, it was quite wonderful. I was sitting at my desk and I kept looking out the window of the motel and I just, I just, the snow was just coming down and I'd say, okay, I guess I'll write another chapter. I mean, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you know. And thank God they had a nice coffee shop. I went down to the coffee shop. I got something to eat. I went back to my room. I'd look out the window, and i go, okay, I guess I'm stuck here. And then I just would write more. And, and, and a lot of the book was written in in that hotel room over the two-week period. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. And I kept looking at my car getting more and more buried. And I was <laughs> like, how am I going to get this thing out from there? And But, you know, eventually it, it let up, and I, I got I got home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was a, it was a wonderful process. I mean, you, you know, look. In all honesty, you know, and I, I, as you write, you, I, I was always hoping I was being clear as to what my points were, because I take the I take the the act of teaching very very seriously. Yeah, and the do. last thing I would want to do is give someone bad advice yeah. or confuse them in some way. So I kept, I was very meticulous. I kept going over it and over it, making sure that what I was saying wasn't contradictor, contradictory or, or erroneous in some way. I think there are certain contradictions to painting, you know, I mean, like, like anything, which mm-hmm. is, you know, you you have to be uh, both, uh, I would say, highly organized and completely loose, which sometimes the things just don't go along. You know, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, you know, you have to uh, process what you see and paint what you see. And at the same time, 
not paint what you see. You know, you have to emotionally react to things. You know, you have to be both analytical and and uh, and completely not analytical. I mean, there's a <laughs> lot of opposites that are going on as you work. You know, so uh, I tried but, to get that across. Yeah, and I, I think any any student's favorite contradictory statement is there are rules to paintings and to painting and then there are no rules I mean we, we've seen that yeah I've had we had Carolyn Anderson on and um, she was talking about the myths and realities of painting and a, a painting and um, you know the first thing I, I set her up with a, a really cool question I thought and then her answer was well you know first of all there's no rules and I was like oh Okay, well, nice talking to you, Carolyn. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You know, there, there, there really look. There aren't rules, but there are rules. I, I, I think there certainly are are rules. I mean, and they, and one could say rules are meant to be broken. I, I, I think where the mistake is that people will say things like, uh, "Don't cut your composition in half." Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, I've seen many beautiful and incredibly successful paintings. Where you mean can canvas? You said composition, but are you talking canvas or the composition? Yeah, I'm saying like don't put your horizon line dead across the center. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Like okay. where, yeah. where don't equally bisect the canvas, let's say. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, but I've seen many gorgeous paintings that have done precisely that. Mm -hmm. I think... So is that a good rule? No, that's not. But but I think that rule has always been misinterpreted. What I would I would put a footnote to that. It is fine to cut the canvas, you know, bisect it right in half. What you cannot do is have both halves of equal interest. Okay, because then you really won't know what you're looking at. You know, right. if you bisect the canvas, let's say a, a composition right down the center. And the top half is more interesting than the bottom half. That is a that is a beautiful design. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But if both halves are fighting for complete equal interest, then that's a good rule because you you know you should uh, not do that yeah. because then you will have a disaster. You know. But but yeah, that almost begs the question: as are we oversimplifying the the so-called rules? To, you know that we lose that little bit of information that you just shared, for example. Um, yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I think there are certain rules. Again, it depends on the rule. You know, because some of the rules I've heard are just stupid. I mean, they don't even make <laughs> sense. Some of the rules actually got in the way of me being a painter. Would uh, if you're interested, I, I could talk about that for a moment. But sure. I, I would say that you know under the guidance of a good teacher uh, there are I think it would be a wise idea to learn a few of the so-called so-called rules before you threw them out because you can get pretty lost if you if you're not starting from some you know what I mean mm -hmm. uh, I mean you're talking about baby steps so I would learn how to walk before you know, I learned how to dance. I mean, you know, once you start dancing, you're kind of defying gravity. But I wouldn't start out by trying to dance <laughs> if I was learning how to walk because it would lead to great injuries, you know. Uh, uh, in terms of painting, you know, one of the things that I, I, and I mentioned this in the book, one of the things that I was taught by many, let's say, well-meaning instructors 
was that I should cover my canvas as quickly as possible, uh, that I shouldn't finish one section before I got to another section that was, let's say, even blank, you know. And there was something in my nature that fought that like crazy. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, by my nature, wanted to finish something on the canvas as quickly as possible. And I caught a lot of grief, you know, from, from various instructors saying that that was the wrong way to paint. Uh, and what, in, and I almost gave it up at one point because I just couldn't ever get the thing going the way I had it in my head. What ended up happening was I saw a, a couple of paintings by various impressionists that I liked that were unfinished. And I noticed they all had sections of their canvas completely done and the rest of it was blank. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I mean, these guys are considered masters. So at least I wasn't alone with that, let's say, that instinct or that tick, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you look at Richard Schmidt, he tries to get his focal point done as quickly as possible. You know, the right value, the right color, you know, the right edge. And he builds the painting out from there. And, and yep. that was always sort of my instinct was like, let me get something on the canvas done that's correct as fast as possible because then I can make every other judgment against that. You know, if you put down something that's equally correct, you'll know it. If you put down something that's wrong, you'll know it instantly also because if you know you've got two or three, two or three things on the canvas that are correct and then something that's wrong, it jumps right out at you. And that, that to me was how I could work on location as quickly as I did. You know, I wasn't just slapping down pain going, gee, I hope this all adds up. <laughs> you know? so. Yeah. You know, for me, I've seen a number of, of masters paint, and I'm not alone. I mean, I know a number of people go to workshops and watch masters paint and all that. And I don't think I can always say that there's this particular format that everybody or formula that everybody uses. It's just, to me, it comes down to what you are comfortable doing um, when you're standing in front of the easel. And, and if it gets to a beautiful painting at the end, congratulations. Don't overanalyze it. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, I was I you know, I was just on the phone with David LaFell before I got on the phone with you guys. You know, David and I talk all the time about the, the process of painting. You know, we're we're uh, I'm actually working on on a film now uh, for David uh, on on his life's work, you know. Oh, cool. uh, we were talking about that. Yeah. And I mean, David always says in the end like it or not, you're painting your nervous system. Mm -hmm. and, and it makes perfect sense. You know, like there's, you know, if you're a certain type of personality with a certain type of nervous system, you're going to just paint a certain kind of way. And I, I say don't fight that. Get right. into it. Surrender to it. And because that's the quickest way to find out who you are. You know what I mean? You can't... Exactly. You know what I mean? You can't emulate another person's thought process be, because that's their thought process. That, I mean, yes, there are certain uh, truths or certain, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Certain, um, Linda, throw me a life. Uh, I'm trying. Uh, there'll be certain, uh, I can't find, there'll be certain similarities. Processes? Oh, okay. Certain so, truths and similarities in the way, you know, but the way we get there could be quite opposite, you know. Mm -hmm. 
Right, exactly. Yeah. So the the book itself, is it an instructional book or is there a theory or is it's, it both? It's both. It's certainly instructional, you know what I mean? But but what I talk about at the front of the book, which I find which I've always found missing uh, in a lot of instructional books is a series of questions of the, the the entire thought process behind making a painting. Because if you just wander out into the woods with your equipment and just you're not exactly sure what you're going to do or why you're going to do it, and you go, oh, okay, I guess I'll I'll paint this tree here, and you know, and you just start slinging paint around, and you're not even really thinking, you're not going into it with any sort of finished idea or goal as to what you're trying to get to, you're never going to arrive there. You, you, you know, you may get lucky, you know, one out of a hundred times, but that's, that's not what painting is about. Painting is about coming upon something, looking at something, analyzing it, digesting it, telling yourself what your goal is. That's not to say that your goal can't change sometimes as you're working. You know, sometimes, you, you know, I'm working and, you know, an, uh, you know, an even better thought comes to mind as I'm working, but, you know, because uh, you know, the painting starts to happen, it starts to take mm -hmm. on a life of its own, but I talk a lot about the thought process of painting, <clears throat> excuse me, um, and which I think is essential, and, and, and as any professional artist will tell you, they have definite goals before they start. And that what I'm trying to do is to get the reader to understand, to ask themselves certain questions, to get, you know, why am I doing this? What am I trying to say? What am I getting at? You know, and mm -hmm. uh, once you, if you can answer those questions, you have a much better rate of success, you mm -hmm. know, be, because you're not just pushing paint around. You're pushing paint around with a purpose. So. Right, right. Took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to ask you about the the similarities between painting and writing because I know there there are some. Um, one of which we always we have talked about before that we're the directors of the painting. Um, we're we're free to make a choice just like we are when we're creating characters or a scene or or um, deciding to kill one of the characters off, decide to take a painting and take a tree out of the painting. There's a lot of similarities between the two. I think. Um, there absolutely. Yeah. So, other well, than other than us being directors of our painting, is there anything else you'd like to to add? Well, I mean, look again. This is all part of the thought process of of being an artist and you know, being a writer. Uh, you know, we don't look as dramatic writers. <laughs> you know. It's funny. It's it's uh, which is very similar to painting in in, in its conceit. Okay, mm -hmm. <clears throat> as dramatic writers, we take certain truths about human behavior, okay, and yes. we tell stories, but we do it using very artificial means. I mean, w w you know, real human beings don't live in scenes. They don't. <laughs> you know, they. You know what I mean? They, they, yep. they, their life is just this thing that just goes along like an endless stream until it's over, you know? <laughs> but we, we as dramatic writers, we write scenes, we write scenarios, we, we put them into various, you know, dramatic situations. And then a lot happens happen. in one day. <laughs> yeah, a lot happens in one day. I mean, look, I mean, you know, I've written movies where like the, like Midnight Run, you know, things happen <laughs> in five days that couldn't happen in a lifetime, you know, but, right. but you know, <laughs> 
but you'll take a leap, you know, because it's it's a dramatic or comedic piece of writing. You're using human behavior and certain truths in order to tell a dramatic story. This is not dissimilar to 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 painting. And where I think sometimes people get lost or students get lost is you're not recreating reality. You're making a painting, mm-hmm. okay? And you're using certain visual truths the same way that the dramatist does, you know, uh, in order to express something else, which is to create a painting, you know. And, and, and I have to remind myself of this, too, because a lot of times when you're painting on location, the eye gets greedy. You know, the eye wants to put everything in there. And, and you're never going to, the greatest draftsman on earth, okay, is never going to get everything that's in nature on, on his or her canvas. It's not possible. So get rid of that idea from the very beginning. You are taking what you see and synthesizing it through your, you know, through your emotions and putting it back down on a canvas in order to say something about what you are seeing, okay? And to start getting all caught up in, oh, I'm not getting everything that I see. You can't. <laughs> so forget it. It's never going to happen, okay? You know, you, even in photorealism, it, it's, you're still leaving things out, okay? So drop that idea. Take what you see. Synthesize it through yourself. Say to yourself, what do I want to say about what I am seeing and feeling about what I am seeing and put that down in paint. You're making a painting. You're not taking a snapshot. You're making a painting. Right. So take take that those truths, to... you know, and, and sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was, no, go ahead. Take those truths is what you started with. Yeah, well, I, yeah, take those truths that you see and, 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 and put them down, you know, in, in, in the context of a painting, you know. You're not, it's not reality. It's a painting. Yeah, I was gonna. I was just gonna come back with and say, if I take this back into a novel or a movie scene, if we showed five days of the person doing their everyday routine, mm-hmm. people would walk out of the, the movie. You'd go to sleep. <laughs> you know? It's like it's so. It's the same thing. Same process with painting is you don't want to show them your, your everyday routine. You want something that's gonna grab them and grab the emotion. And and if you think about writing and and painting. And maybe it's only uh, painfully obvious to you and I, George. I hope not, but it might be. But you know that there are so many similarities. You wouldn't do five days of routine for a movie, although I guess maybe the Coen Brothers would. But well, yeah. But I mean, again, you know, unless your unless your statement is, you see. But again, it always comes back to context. It always comes back right. to the to the statement. You know, yes. you might do a movie like that, but then maybe you're trying. Maybe your ultimate goal is, I want to show how boring life can really be. You know, <laughs> right. you know, if that's your goal, you know, uh, or how, uh, you know, you know, what I'm getting at. It's, yeah. You see, look, even documentaries, okay, which everything you're seeing, let's say, is true in quotes. Mm-hmm. Even documentaries are written because the documentary filmmaker, you know, has a goal or a point that he or she wants to make. And they only shoot the things that are going to support that support that goal. So even that's not real. You right. know what I mean? Because it's, you're cherry picking things. You know, so it's the same thing as painting. You go out, you go to the location, and you cherry pick. You know, this helps my thought. This doesn't help my thought. You know, um, so I, I hope that's helpful. You know, there's yeah. Linda. There's one other thing. You know, that I talk about. I think in the book to some degree, which is you know. 
students, you know, when I did Weekend with the Masters, you know, and it's very funny, students will come up and they'll ask you, well, what brush did you use here? And I'll tell you the truth, I don't remember, you know. <laughs> you know, I'll use my elbow or a stick if it helps me, you know. It, it's, that's the wrong question. You know, it, it's, it's, you know, a lot of times students think, well, if I only knew this technique, if I only knew this trick, if I only knew, that's, it's inverse thinking, actually. You know, it, it, yes. it, the, the truth that, you know what I'm saying, the truth mm -hmm. of it is you arrive at technique because you're thinking. Mm -hmm. you, it's not the technique that gets you the goal. It's because you had the goal that you made a choice for technique. So it, once you start thinking that way, you start to paint better quite rapidly. You know, uh, okay, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? You look at something and you say, okay, that juxtaposed against that, that's a soft edge. And then you make the choice that works for you as opposed right. to adopting somebody else's trick. Right, yeah, a perfect um, example of that is I was down in North Carolina and I studied for two days with Joe McGurl and um, hello to all the people out there that were in the, the classes with me and, and said hello to me. That was really, really great. I had a fun time with you guys. Um, but it was interesting because Joe took me out of the mindset of I have to use a brush this way, I have to use a palette knife this way because he has so many helpful and interesting tools that he uses. I mean, like he uses a, um, <laughs> you may hate me for saying this, but a Martha Stewart, like uh, really small paint roller that's got, that's got like a faux finish type of thing on it. Um, so it's all, it's got uh, impressions. Uh, I'm writing this all like down. I did not know. I know yeah. Joe too. I, yeah. I, I Really. So he uses that and then he'll take a brush because he wants um you know, leaves and, and conifers to look a certain way, and he'll just start chopping bristles out of the brush. And I'm sitting there looking at his tools, and I'm going, I could never make this work. Well, no, because I'm not Joe McGurl. I couldn't make it work. But it was interesting. It's just like, you know, he just encourages everybody to go out and say, oh, let's just go see what this does. You know, mm, don't, well, don't just say, smart. you know, palette knives and brushes and stuff like this. I mean, he's got a basting brush that he uses. So... Yeah, no, that's really smart. I, 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 you know, my favorite brushes are the ones that are the most screwed up in my paint box. You know, like I, I've, I've got people that look at my paint box and they go, how do you paint with this stuff? And I'm like, oh, those are my secret weapons. Are you kidding? I mean, they're, they're, they're so screwed up and so splayed, you know, the hairs. And, but man, I could get a great soft edge, you know, or I could, uh, uh, you know, or I, or I could drag it a certain way. And, uh, and and get a you know an effect if that's what I'm looking to do. Okay, so so now you need to plug Rosemary's brushes because Simi's listening. She is. Uh, <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> what's up, Simi? Uh, yeah, we had a wonderful evening, all of us together. Poor Linda, I tortured her playing the guitar, and I did a I did a four hour version of Werewolves of London. Anyway, I I I, I apologize, but we had a lot of laughs. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean the rose the rosemary brushes. Uh, first of all, they they make certain designs that I haven't seen other other uh, other brush companies that, that they have these uh, things called swords and daggers. The I, I think without a doubt their brushes are the best brushes on the market. Uh, the 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 swords and the daggers, especially the 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 swords, I believe are the longer ones. Yeah, uh, have you ever used those, Linda? No, I, I haven't. I have. Linda, I have some I, I got to tell you, at, at first, 
when I first held it, I was like, what the heck am I going to do with this thing? It was like, uh, almost like holding a windshield wiper in my hand. I was like, I, I can't, I, I don't know what to do with it. But I'm telling you, the second I, I understood what that brush could do, <laughs> it is so versatile. Uh, you could get, even on the biggest brush, you could get the finest point, uh, uh, and, and, uh, and, for tree branches and and stalks, it, they're just remarkable because if you if you and I like to paint larger paintings, if you paint like let's say with your shoulders and your body as opposed to your wrist, and you just swing that brush around, I, you could get amazing effects that eluded me for a long time. I can't say enough good things uh, about. Rosemary brushes. I can't say enough good things about Simi and Rosemary herself. Actually. Right. Yeah. Love them both. Yeah. They're um, just great people. And uh, they're, they're. I'm on. Product. I'm on. Sorry, George. I have to interrupt because Simi and I are on Facebook together right now. And she sent me some notes. Swords are longer. So mm -hmm. you mentioned swords. They are longer. Okay. And also, um, you have a set of brushes, I understand, that they have pulled together. They right. have. Yeah. They have a George Gallo set. So oh my God. if you go out to their website, which is www.rosemaryandcompany.com, and um, you'll see George Gallo's uh, set there so that you can look at what. So he has swords and... Um, swords, Dag, yeah, the Egberts I love too, and yeah. the... Uh, and uh, I looked at their... And I'll tell you, and, and uh, also Michael Harding's paint is like... Uh, the, which we, you know, which is the paint that I use. It, the, the paint is so concentrated. I mean, the combination of of rosemary brushes and Michael Harding paint. Okay, I, I'm yeah. telling you, they're like painting with light. They're, they're so concentrated. I mean, I remember the first time I used some of his cadmium yellow, and I put it down. I was like, whoa, look at that! <laughs> I, was like, I know. <laughs> it was like, oh my god! It's almost like I had to squint. You know, I, I was looking. It was so. It was so gorgeous. I was like, am I seeing right? You know, yeah. and then uh, yeah, it's it's it. This stuff is the real deal. It, it's uh, um, I mean, look, I have to say that Rosemary's brushes liter literally made me a better painter. I, I I just the brushes had such great life and and uh, you know the way they spring, you know, I, and uh, you know it just I don't know, I felt like I was conducting an orchestra out in the woods. You know, <laughs> I was just so happy out there painting. Yeah, yeah. So um, just real quick, um, Simi did send me a, a a text and said that you have ivory dagger sizes quarter inch, three eighth of an inch, and a half inch. Ivory sword sizes a half inch and a quarter inch. Egbert and rigor and rounds. All of them are from the ivory series. So that's what you're using to paint with. So and yeah, she and also I told me to say don't cut your brushes. So <laughs> if no, I wouldn't have gotten I, that I, one, she would have yelled at me. So no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> no, and I also use flats too, quite a bit of flats, um, because uh, um, I use uh, you know like the swords and the daggers. I use a lot for you know uh, because the, the the edges are come at an angle. You know. Uh, they're great for an edge, you know, and uh, uh, and then I, I like I say, but like if I'm doing a sky, uh, you know, I'm I'm more apt to use a flat brush, you know, uh, one of the flats, you know, it's it's um, you know, if you kind of go back to something else you 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 asked me earlier, sure, uh, you know, about just colors that you see, you know, a lot of times like you know I, I if I go out to paint and I look at the sky, it's always shocking to me, like it. 
you know, if you take a photo of the sky, you could say, well, that's a nice, beautiful blue, you know. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the sky, just even on a blue day, you know what I mean? And let's say there's just intermittent, you know, just kind of clouds. We get a lot of marine layer here in California sometimes. If I look at it and I don't overanalyze it, I just accept what I'm seeing because a lot of times you go, well, that can't be. Now, <laughs> what, you know, but if I just look at it, I can't believe the different blues. I'll see ultramarine blue, and I'll see I'll see more turquoise sorts of blues, and then I'll see little bits of yellows and oranges and reds and alizarins, and they really are all there, you know. And so I'll just sort of uh, I'll take um, you know like for instance I'll take a, a dagger brush if I'm seeing those different all those little spots of color in the sky, and I'll just start mixing. You know, I'll just start laying all those different dabs in the sky, and, and, and obviously you've got to keep the values identical so that, right. you know, otherwise it looks like confetti, you know, mm. but, but I'll just keep all those values. But I'll see an alizarin, you know, in white, and French ultramarine blue in white, and then a little fallow blue in white, and then, you know, a little yellow, a little orange, a little – these things are going on in the sky, and if, and if you just – don't overanalyze too much and go, well, it's going to come out too spotty. And then, the, it, you know, it's no, it's not. I mean, those, that's what's going on in nature. Just accept it. Okay. And then all of those colors that are in the sky are going to somehow also be featured in the land. It has to be because everything's reflecting and bouncing off of everything else. So you'll start to notice those alizarins, those purples, those blues are going on in the shadows, mm. you know, and a lot of those, little yellows and things that you're seeing on the, on the lighter side of things in the warmer parts of the sky, those colors are also very much going on in the lighter portions of things down below. So a lot of it's just recreating a lot of what's going on in the sky down below with just adding the local color of whatever the object is below. If it's a lot of green trees, yes, they're green, but they're, they're also being completely affected by the light and of the warm and cool light that's coming down, you know, from the sky. So anyway, um, and you just incorporate You love this stuff, it. don't you? <laughs> Can you tell? No. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, of course I do. You know, it's, it's, and it's the closest thing to being a kid in a lot of ways. You know, it's, yeah. uh, you know, you're like you're being a child, you're painting, you know, I don't know, I can't think of anything. Man. You know, look, Linda, I mentioned this in the book, too. There are times when, you know, I'm hiking around with my outdoor gear, and, you know, I got this big Beauport easel, you know, that huge easel where you can put an enormous canvas outside, and I have all this, these boxes and with all my stuff in it, and I do ask myself sometimes, why the heck am I doing this? It, it, it's, it seems almost insipid. I'm a grown man. I'm 58 years old. I'm bringing paints and brushes and canvases and easels into the woods what am I doing you know uh, but at the same time that what else you know you know what I mean it, it's it, I can't think of anything more more pleasing and more fun than to go painting outside you know so yeah yeah so tell us a little bit I I've seen you teach I I know you enjoy it you're you're very positive um, when you're teaching and, and also very, very helpful. So tell us a little bit about uh, your teaching philosophy. And I, I know you probably don't get to teach as much as you like, but um, do tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, look, I, I, I would try to – it's very funny because I talk about – you know, I'm, I'm 
I, I'm not trying to turn into a craft commercial idiot here. But <laughs> this is stuff that I, I do talk about in the book, okay? Yes. I, you have to stay positive when you're painting because, you know, there's self-recrimination seems to be like an artist's favorite, you know, where you just beat yourself up mercilessly. You know, I, I, that, that just has to be completely abandoned, okay? It is nothing but a waste of time. And stop with the moaning and I'll never be any good. Stop with all of that. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Okay. Just embrace, you know, wherever you are at the time. And and you're never, ever, ever, ever going to do positive, beautiful work with negative thinking. So just stop, you know. So yeah. I, 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 I always try to tell people that, that in spite of, you know, it's Look, the, the notion of the painter killing himself to try to say something about me. This, like I said in the book, it's great drama, but it has nothing to do with painting. Okay, mm -hmm. painting at least the way we paint is supposed to be some kind of celebration of life. Okay, so let's get into some sort of positive headspace in order to work. <laughs> you know, because you know you don't want to be that thing at the party that's just depressing. You know, you want to be at the party having fun. So. I try to, from Jump Street, I would say try to get into a positive frame of mind. Try to th see things in a positive light. You know, try to, you know, as, you know, in terms of teaching, uh, you know, I try to get people to, I just try to get people all very upbeat and buoyant, you know, in order to do good work. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of the book The Art Spirit by mm -hmm. Robert Henry. And yeah. all he does is talk about positive thinking and, 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 and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, we are what we are, you know, we, whatever we project is, 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 and create is also coming from inside of it. And so if we have dark negative thoughts, we're not going to paint anything bright and wonderful. And, you know, because it's, our nervous systems, getting back to David LaFell, our nervous systems are going to reflect our negative thinking. So I try to get into positive thinking as quickly as possible and enjoy the process. And if and and you know what, you're going to screw up. So just embrace that too. You're going to screw up. I screw up all the time. You know, it, it's it's part of it's part of the process of being an artist. Yeah. You know, that's so where you learn. It's how you listen. You're going to learn more from your failures. I mean, nobody likes to fail. And look, I've taken canvases and and hurled them into the woods because I've been upset with myself. I think that that's all part of, I mean, look, you know, there's the famous story, John, John uh, uh, Follinsby, the, 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 the Pennsylvania impressionist who, uh, mm -hmm. who had polio as a kid. And he used to paint, he painted all of his masterpieces from a wheelchair. They, they, he painted on canvas boards a lot and they asked him why he painted on boards versus canvases. And he said, because I could throw my failures deeper into the woods, you know, <laughs> on a board than on a canvas, <laughs> you know, and here was a, one of the great masters, you know, and he, and he too was, you know, he was screwing up. But if right. you're not reaching, if you're not trying to go beyond your means, you're not doing anything worthwhile, you know? So, mm -hmm. and when we reach is when we fall from time to time and falling is part of the process. It's all part of the process. Just don't beat yourself up. Right. And don't share your failures. I mean, you know, and like the picture no. of them. No, just <laughs> throw them into the woods. Right, right. Um, so I guess I keep like flipping back and forth because we keep covering a lot of the questions that we, we have. Um, 
One of the ones, though, I do want it to cover, um, and sure. it's it has to do. This may be a new audience, George. You've been on Art Chat a couple times before, but um, with us being tied in with FNW, uh, we're reaching a lot of different people. So tell us a little bit about the film Local Color. Um, well, Local Color was a complete labor of love. You know, I. I um, I mean, it, it came about for various reasons. I mean, my wife and I produced, you know, we mortgaged our home to make it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, Julie, you know, my wife said, you know, we didn't have children. So this was a way of trying to put, you know, a, a child into the world. You know, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I guess I never saw a film that was ever really made about the world of representational painting. I mean, I've seen sort of a few biographies of, of impressionist painters, you know, uh, French impressionists, but I never really saw a, a movie that was made about the, the plight of the representational artist, especially during the seventies when it was probably, uh, you know, at its, um, you know, in terms of, uh, let's say whatever the art intelligentsia was claiming was great. You know, I guess it, that was probably when it was at its, uh, low point you know um and i studied with a with a with a with a master artist when i was 19 years old and i, I made a I, I made a film that sort of dramatically uh encapsulated uh, a summer that i spent with him mm -hmm. um, a lot of it was uh, you know some of it's real some of it's imagined you know what i mean in order to make a movie but definitely the plight uh, of, of representational painting is is uh is what that film is about and uh and the notion of, uh, of trying to create beauty uh, in a world uh, that, especially at that time, I think, uh, uh, where you know beauty and that sort of mindset was sort of ridiculed. I think it's still ridiculed to some point. I don't think it's as bad as it was. Um, I, I have personally never understood why uh, painting ugliness is acceptable to a certain kind of mindset. And if you paint something beautiful, it is of of an incorrect mindset. I I don't know when that happened. I mean, that just makes no sense to me. <laughs> you know, it's very funny. I just if I could digress. Second, I was reading a uh, uh, a film review this morning. A friend of mine did a film, and uh, I read the review, and it said it's a wonderful film, but at moments it becomes dangerously sentimental. And I said. <laughs> Why is sentimentality dangerous? I mean, it's like what? It's like what? I mean, I can understand where something might become dangerously vile or dangerously violent. That I understand. But when did sentimentality become dangerous? Do people understand how disengaged from humanity they are? From from if they start saying things like that, yeah, uh, it became dangerously sentimental. I'm like, oh my god, really? <laughs> <laughs> that That's sounds frightening. Yeah. <laughs> frightening. Yeah, so. Okay, well, uh, we're actually getting to the point where we need to start uh, answering some questions, a uh, few questions from the audience. Be sure. Um, Megan and or Sarah, if you want to get a couple of those together, what I want George to do is talk about, do you have any um, workshops or, or exhibitions or shows coming up that you need to tell us about or none whatsoever. No, no, none. None. Um, no, I have. Uh, um, I'm not. I keep. I keep. I am asked often to do workshops. Uh, 
I like doing them. I just, I can't, I can't seem to find the time to do them. Um, but I have a group of, uh, of students, uh, that I taught at Carmel, uh, about a couple of years ago. And we literally stay in touch on the phone constantly, the students from that class. And, uh, you know, they call me asking questions and I, I just love, I just love talking about this stuff. So to me, it's never work. I just mm -hmm. haven't been able to, to find the time to, to organize a, a, a class. I keep saying we're going to do it, like we're going to get the band back together. You know, we're going to go uh, somewhere. And I may be doing something in January, but okay. I'm not I'm not 100% sure yet. In, in, in terms of shows, I have a show at the Selma Gundy Club sometime. No. Yeah, I have a one-man show. Thank you. Uh, it's not in the Selma Gundy Club. It's out front in the street, but I'm kidding. No. It, it's, <laughs> I know where no. that club is. I've been there. There's there's no room on the sidewalk there. <laughs> right. No, I have a I have a one-man show uh, there in September of next year. Um, I, there's some talk about me doing a show at the Old Lyme Museum uh, in September also, um, and uh, I'm in the process of organizing a couple of shows now, but... Uh, those are the only two that are locked in. Um, but, uh, Great. So are you going to travel all the way back to New York? I that? will travel all the way back to New York. You know, my I have issues with flying. So yes, I, I do. That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah, I, I will either get the sort of, uh, I don't know, I mean, I have to watch what I say, right? This is a, a family yes. show. Uh, yes. I will have to get inebriated on some level <laughs> to get on a plane. or uh, I mean, I flew to France, as you know. Yes, uh, I do. We don't need to go to that story, okay? Yeah, you know, I was on, yeah, I drank quite a bit to get on the plane because I just can't fly. I mean, I, I you saw Midnight Run. I'm Charles Grodin. I stopped the plane, you know. Uh, uh, but, uh, no, I I, uh, I'll, I'll, I will definitely be at the show. How I get okay. there is in question, but I will be there. Okay, cool. Um, so, Megan and or Sarah, do we have any questions from the audience? We don't have any questions at this time. Okay. I forgot to remind people that they could do that, too. Um, but did you get a chance to get to all your questions that you had for George? I think so. I think the only one that I missed, George, was um, do you spend any time in any other mediums besides oil? I like to draw. Um, but I did not what I would call finished drawings. I have a sketchbook. I always have a sketchbook, uh, and I I like to, you know, doodle landscapes or doodle thoughts. You know, um, um, I, I like, you know, I I from time to time draw like caricatures of my, <laughs> of my friends. Uh, sometimes that aren't particularly flattering. I do it on purpose, and then. They will take the sketchbook from me and draw something equally not flattering of me. <laughs> <laughs> Is this you and Tony? Yeah, Tony and I do it. And uh, there was another friend of mine, George, who's a, uh, an artist. We used to draw each other uh, and uh, sometimes have contests who, who could make the other one look more frightening or, or, or ridiculous. But, uh, yeah, um, I do that type of stuff. But, no, it's pretty much just oils, you know. Um, okay. I I like watercolors, but uh, um, I, I I think they're uh, they're not great for my nerves. You know, you can't uh, 
you can't get a palette knife out and scrape out a watercolor, you know, uh, if you if you mess up a section. So. Okay, um, Simi's asking me to ask you about your storage. So tell us about your studio. <laughs> My storage? Yeah, how you store your I paintings. Clean, uh, I cleaned that <laughs> all up, Simi, okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it looked like, uh, um, I don't know how to describe it. I, I uh, it, You've seen it. You've seen it at its yes. worst. <laughs> I, 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 no, now it's completely, you'd be shocked. It's, it's quite pristine. I... I Cool. have a tendency to paint and, and just toss the painting somewhere into a garage or into a, a room. And before you know it, they start stacking up because I paint quite rapidly. Mm -hmm. But no, about a month ago, I looked at it and it was, uh, I don't know, it, it, I, I guess I felt like a crazy person. And I said, okay, I have to clean this up. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just, I really straightened everything out. And then there is also in local color, if you, I think one of the extras, or maybe at the end of the movie, there is a shot of just how many paintings you had at that particular time in your studio. And um, it is quite full because you do paint a lot. You paint, um, I don't know, how many paintings a, a week? At least, what, five? When you're... Uh, well, I don't know about five. I mean, it depends. But I mean, like, you know, like over the holidays, I painted, uh, you know, I painted three pretty substantial plate air paintings, you know, of various sizes. I, 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 you know, look, I mean, I, I paint, you, you know, yeah, I like to paint rapidly. I, I think it, you know, the energy gets in the paint, you know, and, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the upside of it is, is that, you know, you produce a lot of work and then sometimes that's not the downside. I mean, it's just how I paint, you know, mm -hmm. uh, um, you know, look when Redfield, passed away I, I i read recently and he sold lots of work you know in his lifetime but he still had uh i think nearly two thousand paintings in in his possession when he passed away i read somewhere and i don't know if this is accurate or not that emil groupie there's probably five thousand paintings out there of his i mean that's a lot yeah. of painting you know uh yeah when well, you so. compare it to vermeer who painted 42 Right. Is that right? Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it depends. <laughs> you know, yeah, on, I, uh, I mean, it, it's amazing to me the difference of how many paintings certain uh, artists, masters have painted and some haven't. And talking about artist masters, um, one of the questions that I did skip that's hiding in here on my list was, um, who are you most inspired by, past masters and present? What present masters inspire me or past ma I, To be honest, the ones that really inspire me are more the past masters. I, I, uh, I mean, the whole Pennsylvania School of Impressionism, which is, you know, Red, Edward Redfield, Daniel Garber, uh, Fern Coppage, uh, uh, Nunamaker, uh, Walter Elmer Schofield, those, you know, and then George Gardner Simons of the California guys, uh, Edgar Payne, uh, Jack Wilkinson Smith, William Went. You know, those guys to me uh, are just far more interesting. I, 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 I'll tell you why I think they're more interesting. I, I think they were unabashedly themselves. And, you know, you can look at a William Went or a Redfield and you know instantly it's one of their paintings. I, I, I think... And I don't know why. I just think that the too many painters today are painting too much alike, and I think uh, um, 
as a result, uh, there's a sameness about what everything the body's doing. And I, I also think that people are getting a little too caught up in rendering and rendering mm. and rendering. And, and it's you're not painting, they're rendering all the time. And I understand that need to do that, but you start getting into illustration when you're rendering so much. I mean, uh, I mean, some of the greatest impressionist paintings ever painted were not even necessarily, and I'm not advocating bad drawing, but they were not even necessarily that terrifically rendered, you know what I mean? But they're so full of emotion that, which I think is what a great work of art is about. Now, I'm not saying it has to be poorly drawn. I'm not saying that at all. But I, but what I'm saying is, is I, I find there's just a lot of meticulous stuff going on today and a lot of tricks. And I, I always wish that people would just bust out of that and stop that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and look, I understand people are trying to paint also, you know, the contemporary artist who's trying to make a living at being an artist has to paint a certain way in order to, to make money. But you know, and, and maybe create things that are more pleasing. You know, I, I'm very blessed that I don't, I mean, I do sell my work, but I, I haven't had to be able, you know, I didn't have to necessarily make a living at it. You know, I would probably be painting quite differently if I had my, if my sole income was to paint. And a lot of times people like to see things perhaps maybe, more, you know, more meticulously rendered, but, mm -hmm. you know, uh, but uh, there's some terrific painters today. Don't get me wrong. I think I right. mean David LaFell is, a, is is an absolute master. Mm -hmm. Sherry McGraw, Richard Schmid, uh, I think Clyde Aspivik does beautiful work. Scott Christensen, you know. I mean, but all of those people I mentioned, you know, you'll notice you can spot one of their paintings instantly. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Uh, I think Catherine Statz is, ter is a terrific artist. Uh, I think Linda Fissler is a, is a phenomenal <laughs> painter. Stop. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? When you, That's when one you, of my collectors. When you, when you say, when you say, a, when you say the, the artists that I mentioned, instantly imagery comes to your mind. You know, right. it's not like a wash of like, uh, it could look like 30 other painters, you know, did, did it, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think you have to, you, if anything, you, you have to, paint who and what you are and not be afraid that you're a little, you know, creatively naked. You know what I mean? You, you have to say, okay, this is me and this is who I am and live and die by it, you know? Right, right. So um, one more time, George's, yeah. George's book is Impressionist Paintings for the Landscape, Secrets for a Successful Oil Painting. So um, George... Yeah. This is my last question, and then we'll check one more time. If you have a yeah. question, please type it in, and, and Megan or Sarah will uh, be happy to read that to George. But my question to you is, what does having a book published on your art and techniques and philosophy mean to you? Is it a validation or feeling you've arrived or neither of those? Um, look, I'm honored that I got a chance to, to voice something that's been locked inside of me for decades, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and get to share it with a mass audience. Um, I'm, I'm very, very hopeful that people who read the book will become inspired because I think you can tell that there's no shortage of inspiration in here <laughs> or energy. And so hopefully some of that becomes in, infectious and gets, you know, into people's, uh, you know, psyches and helps them create better work. Is it a validation? 
I suppose it is on some level. Yes, I, I'm always very, very leery of of ever feeling overly validated on any level because I think that I also mentioned this in the book. I the ego has to be kept completely in check when creating art because the mm -hmm. second you start thinking you know everything is the second you stop growing and that really is the end of you as an artist you know mm -hmm. uh, so do I feel validated I feel validated yes I do feel validated and 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 uh, uh, certainly uh, you know I put everything in the book that I know up to this point. You know, I would love to write a book again in a few years, uh, five years, ten years, you know, because I'm sure if I'm still working, which, I, you know, if I'm still breathing, which hopefully I will be, I'll I'll know more, and then I could share more, you know. And, and uh, so, but, yeah, I put everything I had into that book that, that I know up to the age of 58 about painting. Great. Um, Sarah, Megan, any comments from anyone or questions? Hey guys, yeah, um, we have one question from Marty, and her question is, uh, she says, I keep asking my friend Kurt Allman if your story in local color about the Russian artist crossing the bridge to escape the Soviet, Soviet advance, and he was told to stop or be shot. Was that borrowed from Sergi Bongart? And very, very funny, that is not the first person to ask me that. that this is not the first time I've heard this question. No, the, you're talking about Sergei Bongart has a very similar story. No, uh, it was not borrowed from Sergei Bongart. This actually happened, uh, this did not happen to Cherepov. This happened to somebody else who told me, see, this is all about dramatic writing. Somebody else told me that story. Another artist told me that story, that that happened to them in Europe. But then when I read Bongard's book, I was like, holy cow, it's almost the identical story. But uh, no, that that is a great story. Yeah, I was very moved when I read that in Bongard's book. Uh, but no, I heard that story years ago, like when I was in my 20s. And it was from an artist who told me the story that they uh, they just decided to leave Russia and they just started walking. And, uh, and the soldier was a very young soldier, German soldier said stop and the guy just kept walking and uh, it's very funny I think it happened to Bogart on the same day maybe maybe that guy just didn't shoot anybody <laughs> there was an exodus of Russian painters that day uh, but anyway but no that's a great question uh, interesting but, yeah no but uh, <clears throat> and, and, and how was Kurt Allman involved in that um, it's Marty's friend I believe oh okay Okay, so, no, no, but uh, that's not the first time I've been asked that. That's funny. I'm glad. Um, I was a little afraid to ask it. I was like, oh, I don't know, but George is up for Settles it for Marty and Kurt then. Um, Megan, I'm not sure. Do we have any other questions over there? Well, Marty did have one follow-up question to her previous question and asking George if um, you were painting while Bongard was still alive or did you just come across him in your studies? I never met Bongard. You mean you're talking about Cherepov? Uh No, I never met Sergei Bongard. The, the closest I got to Sergei Bongard was um, I studied with uh, someone who studied with Bongard, who was a guy named Rulon Hacking. A terrific painter who lived in Taos, who I've mm -hmm. lost touch with, who I have been 
trying over the years to get back in touch with, but I don't know where he, he went to. But Rulon and I painted several times in Taos together, and I was a guest in his home, and uh, he uh, he made terrific coffee, I remember. And we, he would make this, like, coffee so strong you could stand a spoon up in it. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and then we'd be all jittery. We'd go out and paint all day. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, but uh, Rulon Hacking was a student of Bongard's, and he actually taught at Bongard's school. But no, I never had the honor of meeting Sergey Bongard. Okay. All right, uh, thank you. Any other uh, questions over there, Megan? No, nope, uh, that's blue, all we've got. Blue and yellow make green. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask. Yeah. Just kidding. I've worked here long enough to know better. Um, <laughs> well. You guys, this was really fun. This was great. I got some emails from Rosemary during it, and she really enjoyed it as well, so I just wanted to pass that on. Oh, great. Thank you. And she was like, I'm listening. I'm listening. So, oh, she's a sweetheart. Uh, oh, you know what? She just sent a question, and she says, please ask George when the next book is. <laughs> oh. I'd love to do a book. Art. I'll tell you, I would love to do a book on color. Well, you should I would love to do a Yeah. I'd love you to do a book on color. Your, oh, I'm sorry. You should tell her about your Artist Network online event coming up next week that she can listen to. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, well, well, thanks, Megan. We'll we'll do that um, here shortly. But yeah, George, you said um, you wanted to do a book on color. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'd love to do a book just on color because I think it's it's incredibly misunderstood, you know. And uh, um, if you read. Uh, I mean, the, the real geniuses of color were guys like Hawthorne, you know, and uh, um, uh, certainly uh, there was something called the Murata color system that was uh, very interesting. I mean, I've read everything there is to read on color. I believe that I've, I've read absolutely everything. I mean, I don't know. I've, I've read <laughs> lots. Let's put it that way. Uh, but I think color is really misunderstood. And I think that, uh, um you know, I think, again, there's a tendency for painters today to just paint what they see. And I think that that's falling kind of short. You know, I think that painting what you see, to have that ability is an important thing in your arsenal. But then at some point, I think you got to get past that and start painting, you know, what you, you know, about what you're feeling about what you're seeing. You know, right. as Carlson, Carlson very uh, aptly puts in his book, his Guide to Landscape Painting book, is that, you know, it, it's, it's, you're selling, you're selling yourself way short if you just paint what you see all the time. You have to start painting your emotions and painting what you feel about things and, 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 uh, and, and, and find, you know, new ways to interpret, you know, use color to interpret your emotions. And uh, that's the fun of painting. You know, I mean, I mean to, you know, to say, oh, I got the green just right, you know, I mean, yeah, that's nice, you know, but that's not, I don't think that's the road to creating masterpieces. I mean, you know, the elusive masterpiece that we're all trying to chase down, you know. So. Right. Well, if it's me, I usually get the green right in one painting and then, you know, another color right in another painting. It never happens in the same painting. So <laughs> that's no, my goal. Get them yeah, all happening in the I same painting. <laughs> I think that's everybody's goal. I mean, you know, it's like I used to play golf a lot, and just because you hit the last one straight doesn't mean the next one's going straight, you know? Yeah, I can identify with that one, too. Yeah. <laughs> so. 
Okay, so um, one more question, and that is, if you can leave people with some sort of inspirational thought, what might that be? That was from our friends across the pond. A last inspirational thought? Yeah. Well, hopefully not your last inspirational thought, but what would oh, you... Oh, leave whatever... Yeah, yeah, I mean... <laughs> oh, you know, I don't see... See with your heart. There you go. Nice. Oh, I love that. That was nice, yeah. Perfect. Well, Perfect. thank you, George, for being here, and thank you, Linda, for doing this as always, and I apologize again for the technical difficulties, but thanks, Megan, for stepping up and helping us out. And, and thanks, Josh. And thank you yeah, to Josh, Josh Foster. Yeah, a lot into making this happen today, so I appreciate everybody's help, and yeah, we hope you'll join us. Um, George has a webinar with us where you'll get a sneak peek into his book, and that will be on Tuesday at 1 o'clock. So we hope you'll join us for that, and you can find the registration link on artistnetwork.com. And we will have our computer problems fixed by then. <laughs> okay. We will not have technical difficulties. We'll figure something out to get everyone um, on the same page. So, Linda, hopefully you can join us for that as well. Now, that'd be nice. Yeah. So that Tuesday. would be great. Yeah, Tuesday from one to two o'clock, and um, we'll be peeling back the the pages of the book and giving a sneak peek. I think we're going to look at um, one or two chapters from the book and and share some tips and techniques a little more in depth, and it'll be fun. Okay. Can cool. I like to say one last thing? I want to. I'd like yeah. very much to thank Cindy Soloski, who who uh, actually suggested. I do this solo book in the first place because, uh, you know, if she hadn't said, George, do you want to do a solo book? I wouldn't have done it. It wouldn't have crossed my mind. So I, a, a deep uh, nod of gratitude to her for that. Aw. Yeah. Well, your book's great. I can't wait. So. All right. Thank you. And Linda, thank you for all your support over the years and, and, uh, and your friendship. Yeah, that, no problems. Back at you, buddy. I, All right, you, know, I you love are you. loved. You, you are loved. Yeah, same uh -huh. here, sweetie. All so right. yeah, you couldn't right. tell George and I are good friends, could you? No, <laughs> not we at all. We just met. It's all nonsense. <laughs> Another day. <laughs> I love it. I love all the love. Well, thanks yeah. everyone for joining us and sticking through. And thanks again, George and Linda. And we will talk to you on Tuesday, George. And you Linda, got it. I'll is, be there. When is your next art chat? Our next art chat will be January 15th. Um, we're actually going to interview, it'll be our kind of like our first international show. We'll be interviewing um, an author. <laughs> yeah, can we make sure we get the software worked out before we first yes, international yes. show? Definitely <laughs> <right>. by then. <laughs> um, Joanna Penn, who is an, an author, she, um, she writes, uh, she's a self-published author. She's kind of me on the self-published author side. She does interviews with other authors and um, she has a book out on how to market a, a book, how to write a book, things like that. Uh, what we're going to do is kind of put a challenge out to, to all the artists out there. George and Cindy um, stepped up and wrote a book and um, I just thought it would be kind of interesting to have uh, another author on the show and to talk a little bit about um, you know how to how to start out writing a book. So we're putting a challenge out for the New Year's resolution uh, to put in there that I'm going to start journaling. I'm going to start writing a book. So um, you know if you journal, there's there's a book waiting to be to be written in there somewhere. So we're going to you know kind of help some folks on the way to writing their first book with the next interview. 
I'll listen to that. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> Thank you, George. You're so okay. Sweet. <laughs> we'll be there. All I right. That's good. Yeah, so that'll be um, January 15th. We'll be starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time because it'll be about 4 p.m. in London. So she's she's over in London. Okay. Well, that sounds great. We will talk to you then. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, and Thank have you. a great day. We'll talk to you, you later. Bye-bye. Thank mm -hmm. you.